Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I, I wanted to talk a little bit tonight. I'm looking at the countdown clock. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about identity and purpose and how we live into our identity and purpose. They're big words in one level, but they're key because we don't live beyond what we believe about ourselves. We live, we love, we lead from the inside out. And um, no matter what we think about ourselves, whatever we think about ourselves, that's how effectively we're going to live. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, and this won't be on the slide because I wasn't that competent in getting my things together. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, the message version says this. It says, it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before you ever got your hopes up, he had his eye on you, had designs on you for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. Because it's only two verses, I'll do it again for good value. So you've got your Bible's worth. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before you ever got your hopes up, he had his eye on you, had designs on you for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. And it's one of those verses that feels wonderful until we realise we don't always know what that means. Um, I don't know what things you have felt compelled to live for, um, whether it's the, um, the, the approval of people, whether it's paying the bills, whether it's the goals you have. Um, but what Paul wrote when he wrote to this Ephesian church, this kind of round robin letter that went around to this whole community who'd been transformed, was that there was a new purpose and a new sense of identity that would be formed as a result of knowing Jesus. And one of the things, like I said, I'm not from a church background. My heritage, I'm Nigerian by heritage. I'm a Londoner by birth. I live in America by passport. It's confusing. But um, but one of the things I've realised over the years is that there are lots of things that will tell us. There are lots of things that will shape us, um, no matter what we sing. So it's useful to take a moment to have pause, to give pause, to work out where we're at and what on earth we're here for. And whether we're living into what we say we're here for and what things get in the way of that. And with that in mind, I want to focus on one character from the Bible. Peter, I like him because he's nuts and he comes at, he, he just has a mouth on him, you know? He has a mouth on him. He will always volunteer great information or completely useless information, but he's in. He's all in. And I feel he is a great model for our times or, or something. But um, what I want, to, I want to talk about one particular moment of his life. And um, because I believe, yes, we read the Bible, but the Bible reads us as well. The Bible reads our lives. Um, my hope and prayer is in our short time that we have some tools on how we grasp again what our God-given identity is and what that means. On, oh, I don't know what day, what day is it? Thursday? Thank you so much. What it means on a Thursday, kind of also what it means on a Friday night and um, what it means on a Monday morning. So... Let me set the scene before I read it. Um, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. And to set the scene, it has been an incredible time. Jesus has just fed 4,000 families miraculously. And he pulls his disciples away on retreat with him because he's also getting some heat from the religious leaders who don't like him. They're beginning to threaten his life and his people. And it's not time yet, so he pulls them away. When I think retreat, I think spa day. I think food, I think um, music of my liking, I think sauna, I think pamper, I think pedicure. 
Jesus takes his disciples on retreat and he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. Um, That city is about 25 miles north of Galilee and it represents everything that is base and depraved in society. That's what it's known for. Um, There are lots of, it's surrounded by pagan and Roman temples and um, And the habits of those temples, shall we say, some of the practices of those temples were some of the basest things in society, the trafficking of individuals, things like that. There's a cave which has the mouth of the Jordan River in it. And it's where humans, uh, not human sacrifices, I keep on saying that wrong, where where humans threw sacrifices in. Different story. (laughs) Get it right, Joanna. Um, where, uh, where animal sacrifices were thrown in as acts of the worship. And the mouth of that cave, um, which was the source of the Jordan River, was known as the Gates of Hades or the Gates of Hell. That's where they went on retreat. I like mine more. Moving on. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a reset moment for Peter. It's a reset moment for the disciples watching. And there are a couple of thoughts there that I'd love to bring in as we think of our identity and purpose. The first one, again, isn't on a screen because I was slow on some things. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And it's a question he asked his followers then and it's one he asks his, his followers now. Who do you say he is? I remember a friend of mine had a real tough time at university because, um, well, she said this. She said, I was told that when I became a Christian, all my dreams would come true. I was told that I was always be happy. I was told that this was going to be my pathway for life being easy now. And I remember being like, honey, that was Disney. I'm really sorry. (laughs) Not the gospel, but that's what she was told. She was told that that's what it meant to follow Jesus. There were lots of fans of Jesus, but there weren't that many followers in the end. There weren't that many followers. I am a big fan of being a fan. I like sports. I love sports. I love um, watching sport. I love supporting sports teams, but I love winning, which means that I change the teams depending on what's happening. That way I'm never sad. It's always glorious. And I can sing when I'm winning all the time. All the time. I know all the sports songs because there are so many teams to support. It's a glorious thing. I'm a fan. I'm not a follower when it comes to sport because that takes you to valleys when your team goes down. And I don't want to go there. That's not my life. And that's fine when well, some of you are like, it ain't fine. It's fine when it's sport. It's just a game, friends. It's fine <laughs> when it's sport. But it's a different thing when we're talking about a relationship with God? Are you a fan or a follower? Are you a fan for the good times, for the easy times, for the easy moments? The word for follow when Jesus invites people to follow him actually means to unite yourself to his road. It means you can't stay on your own. Who do you say I am? Do you know that he's your friend, but you've not worked out he's your Lord? 
Do you know him, do you know him as a judge? But you don't know him as a rescuer. Do you know him as a mighty? But you don't know him as a lover of your soul. Do you know him as a mighty deliverer? But you don't know that he listens to you and that he sees you. Do you know him as one who works justice, but you don't know he's a father to the fatherless? Who do you say he is? Who have you come to know he would be to you, who he is to you? Because again, we don't live beyond what we believe. Who do you say I am, he says. And then the next thing that happens, um, as he asks the disciples, is we have this Peter moment. And Peter's like, pick me, pick me. I know who you are. I know, I know. I know who you are, Jesus. Pick me, pick me. You are the Messiah. You are the most high one we've been waiting for. You're the one who are the prophets have talked about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You're the one who will deal with the oppression that we've lived with for generations. I have a little sizzle going on. I'm just going to go with it until someone changes it. Um, you're the one we've been waiting for. And it's an incredible, powerful moment. And in response, Jesus says this, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And on one level, that's lovely. But what does that mean, really? Like you're the Messiah and he, said, and he gives them a name. He gives them a name. And I'm like, if I read that fast, it's like, oh, cute. I mean, it, I mean it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything until we look further. Now, the word um, Peter, the name Peter means little rock or pebble or stone. Um, the word for rock in the Greek is Petra. I, this, I, you didn't know you were having a delightful ancient Greek lesson tonight, did you? Um, it means foundation rock or boulder or large rock. And in the Bible, the one who is described as a rock is God in Deuteronomy 32 and, for, and all of those other places I'm not going to go into right now, um, where God is described as a rock in the Bible. And what's actually happening here is a moment of covenant. It's a covenant moment. Throughout the Bible, we see these covenant moments where God enters this relationship with his people. And in the Old Testament, it's how many of the relationships functioned. And so what Jesus is doing here is demonstrating that the relationship they have has gone beyond fan, but a covenant exchange is happening. Now in a covenant um, in the Old Testament, and as we see here, it's between two parties, a stronger party and a weaker party. The stronger party takes the initiative. So we see with Abraham, with Noah, with David, with Moses and the people of God, these covenants taking place. And God initiates a covenant with his people. For the weaker person, all their debts are cancelled. When you enter a covenant with them, you say, all your debts are gone. Or everything you owe, I'm taken care of. Your old identity, who you used to be, it's gone. Every weakness that left you vulnerable, I'm going to cover now. I got you. I've taken hold of you. I've taken hold of your life. The stronger party welcomes you. They now provide for you. You've got any enemies, they'll take your enemies on as well. It was often marked, this covenant, by a scar on the heel of the wrist. So that as you're walking through your life and someone was about to do you over, and I don't mean in a hugging kind of a way, um, they would have to work out if they were feeling lucky that day. Because there's an invisible army that they don't see that's marked by the sign of your, on your wrist. Covenant was a big deal. You needed them. You needed somebody on your side. They were marked in blood. So in Genesis 12 or 15, I can't remember which one, read them both, they're both good value. When um, Abraham is um, asking God, saying, God, when are you going to answer this promise? You promised a kid, I'm kind of getting on, 
Time is ticking away, as it were. And God says, bring me a heifer. I would take that personally if God said that to me. But again, Abraham knows it's a moment of covenant. And so he brings the cow and he cuts it from toe to tail and um, puts a piece on either side and all these other animals. And there's a corridor of blood. God is on one side, Abraham on the other. They cross over. This is a mark of the covenant. And so whenever um, God entered a covenant with his people, there's a corridor of blood there. The old identity is in the blood. The debts are in the blood. Who used to be is in the blood. Every weakness in the blood. In the blood now. It's a new beginning. And so go fast forward to the New Testament and this moment for Peter. Oh, and the other thing that you got in a covenant is you got a new name. So Abraham becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. They get a new identity because God inserts his own identity in them. Forever transformed. And so Simon becomes Peter, the little rock. Because he now is in relationship with the rock, the foundation stone. The builder. And when we think of this, we, and, and I don't imagine Peter and the disciples maybe recognise us at the time, but something is happening here. You see, God is our rock. The one described as the stone that the builders rejected. And in this covenant, we recognise that our debts are cancelled. They're in the blood. Our old weaknesses and our identity who we used to be, the things that have labelled us, the things that have defined us, the things that have broken us, they're in the blood. We don't bear the scars on our wrists anymore because someone bore them in his hands and side. And because of who we are, because of this relationship, we now have a new identity. The benefits of heaven are ours now. And yes, we may have an enemy, but we have one who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We're given a new beginning, a new start. And so when Jesus is talking to Peter and giving him this name and this identity, the echoes of covenant then, the echoes of covenant for him there, and the echoes for us abound. But again, that's wonderful information, but I'm a firm believer, unless this stuff changes us, we should be doing other things on a Thursday evening. You know, I mean, the Bible's not our entertainment, I mean, it's entertaining at times. You know, there are fun times and great stories. But do you know what I mean? If this stuff is transformative, what does it mean for you and I? Well, let me ask the question. What has named you? What has named your life, defined your life? What are the names that you've lived under? There's a saying I grew up with as a kid. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Did you have that here? Yeah. Such a lie. It's such a lie. Give me a stick. No, seriously. Bring on a stick. Because you hit me with a stick, I too will find a said stick and deal with things. You know, give me a stone to break one said bone. And I too will go find a stone and throw said stone. But words, words have a way, don't they, of getting under your skin, into your heart, lodging themselves in your mind. So that even though that relationship may be long gone, the words of what you would never be, the words of what you ought to be, the way that you're not what you're supposed to be, are still defining. Let me just turn this off for a second. Oh, I've lost it. Where'd it go? Was it there? Oh, thank you. I'm going to take it off because it's kind of heavy. Actually, I'm not because I can't do it. (laughs) 
let's go back to our poignant moment that we were in before I was crackling. What are the things that have named you? What are the words that don't leave you? Did you know that because of Jesus, that they get to go, that they don't have to define you forever? What are the things that have shaped your identity? Are you the good one, the bad one, the rebellious one, the lazy one, the strong one, the quiet one, the loud one? I'm running out of ones. You get my drift. Did a parent, a teacher, an authority figure describe you and limit you? And have you found yourself spending days, weeks, months, years reacting or overreacting to what was said, trying to prove that you are that thing or not that thing? It can get exhausting, can't it? It can drive us crazy, can't it? It can shape our lives. But the good news, the good news that that is too good to keep to yourself is that you get a new beginning because of this. We get to exchange the lies, because they are lies, for a truth. The truth which says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The truth which says your past doesn't define your future. That if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. You know that whole thing about in Christ, in covenant. The things of your identity that you're not proud of, that you're ashamed of, you get a new beginning. But do you know that today? Have you encountered that today? What other things do we see about this exchange? We get to exchange the wounds, the weaknesses. The weaker party got to put the wounds down. What are the things that still wound you? Are there relationships? Sometimes it's not the things that we've done that have defined our identity. It's where life has happened to us. People have happened to us. I was defined by my father's absence. It's funny how someone can not be there and shape everything. Shape everything. Birthdays. Oh, who's not sending a card? Christmas. Who's not sending a present? Outlook on the world, the whole thing. And then, oh, and people would say, oh, God's your heavenly father. I'm like, that's fantastic, thanks. So helpful. (laughs) Really meaningful to me. Great. Uh, And I wonder what has defined you. And did you know? Did you know that you can put that down? You can make the exchange that one has gone to great lengths for you so that you could be free from the wounds that have defined your life, that define how you date or not date, that define how you work or not work, that define how you rest or not rest, that define your ambitions and your sense of purpose and your way of being. Our covenant partner wants to take this on. You have nothing to prove and you have nothing to defend. You've got one who's got you. And he doesn't need you to present a good face for him. And then sometimes the things that we need that shape us, that shape our identity are our disappointments. There's a bit in the Bible which says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Anybody struggled with with heart sickness? Things that you hoped would be yours by now? A life, a dream, a goal that would be yours by now? And it begins to shape your identity? And when I was 20, which was only yesterday... Yeah. Anyway, when I was 20, I remember joining a particular church and it was great. I had great worship, but I was there because of the statistics. Um, it was 50% male, 50% female. I had goals, hashtags before there were hashtags, goals. And I felt like my odds were good. I did. I felt my odds were good. 50-50. Where do you get that blessed revival? Nowhere. 
So there I was on a mission of my own. And, um, and none of us were dating because that would have been straightforward. Um, let's do things complex instead and just get emotionally involved with each other. So that's what we did. Uh, um, that's what we did. And um, then I think, I think the church leaders had a year of prayer and fasting. I like to, I'm not exaggerating. That's what they, they're, they're like, this is ridiculous. Um, and everybody started dating and it was wonderful. Really, it was. And I seem to have this reverse spiritual gift where me and my friends after pizza would pray and ice cream. We'd pray and we'd be like, Lord, and it, it depended on what movie we'd watch. Then we'd be like, oh, Lord, pray someone who would complete me or something. Um, Tom Cruise, good times. And, um, and <laughs> oh, Lord. You know, when you start a story, you've just got to finish now. And I'm like, did I care about how I looked at the beginning of this story? It's too late, too late. And I'm um, like, you believe me. And they would meet people and I would meet a situation um, that wouldn't go too well. And um, then the first year there was one wedding and it was great. I got to wear a dress and these great shoes and, and all that. And it was wonderful. The next year there were four weddings and that was fine. Really it was. Yeah, that's great. The next year there were 12 weddings. I know. <laughs> Friends of Sydney. I know. 12 weddings. And I, I, I used to sing at the time and I'm like, Lord, if I have to sing Shout to the Lord one more time as a bride comes down the aisle, I'm about to slap somebody. So, um, and it wasn't aided by the fact that people would come up to me and say, oh, one day it will be your turn. Why do people have to tilt their head to the side when they say that to you? Why? Why? Or they would say things like, you know what, Joe? You'll find someone when you're not looking. Do you know what happens when I'm not looking? I fall off stages when I'm not looking. I step in things when I'm not looking. I walk into walls when I'm not looking. That's what happens when I'm not looking. However, I kept all those thoughts to myself and tilted my head too and said, bless you as well and left it there. And in my prayer life, I was like, dear Lord Jesus, I have been very good for you recently. I have not worn anything inappropriate for quite some time now. I tithe and offer my money to you. I am respectful of my elders. I'm a Nigerian. It's how we roll. I'm just really good. Give me a husband. Amen. And, uh, but after a while, I have to admit, and obviously my ideals have become, a, well, an idol. And that's another story. But, um, <clears throat> but I recognize that the disappointment of watching other people want what, have what I wanted began to erode me. It didn't matter whether I was proud of it or not. It just was happening. Where does disappointment define you? And how is it shaping your identity? When you pray, do you think there's any point to it anymore? When you read the Bible, is it like, yeah, I know it works for everybody else, but for me and you, God, you've forgotten who I am. Um, what is shaping you? Because this thing about being given a new name applies to each of us. We get a new beginning. And the reason why I wanted to spend a lot more time talking about identity than purpose is it's great to talk about our visions and our dreams and where we want to go. And I believe in all of those things. It's just that our identity often trips us up on the way there. And so we find we don't want to run into these things because of that memory or that wound. And we have that dream and that vision. And then you hear those words, who do you think you are? That it should be you. Or you remember that time you prayed and that prayer answer wasn't the one you hoped for. You remember that wound that still defines you and you wonder whether you've got anything to say to a broken world when you still feel broken or you still are broken. 
and you question whether you can contribute in any visionary way because you have depression and you're not so sure where that fits in the whole good news type story or you're not sure how this all works. And so with all of that in mind, I want to invite you to remind yourselves that even if you stand in the face of the gates of hell, your God sees you. Your God knows you and invites you to exchange the old for new. And now that journey may be different things for different, different ones of us. Obviously, if it's a mental well-being issue, you may need to see a doctor and all these other things as well. I like to talk about that sort of stuff. I used to have panic attacks. And I like to say it just because people, Christians get weird. We get weird with ourselves on things like that. It's like, oh, that means we don't have faith. No, it means you had a panic attack. It's not the same thing. There. Just thought I'd vomit that on you just for free. Yay. Um, but but I, I say these things to say, what do you need to make an exchange of? Which part of your identity do you need to say, Lord, I can't handle this. I've been trying. I've done it my way. I've tried to be really holy for you. Then I tried to be really bad for you. Now I'm kind of a, kind of being blasé with you. I just need you. That, Lord, my heart is broken and it's shattered so many times. I don't know how to piece it back together again. And so I'd like to have a dream for the kingdom, but I, I'd, I'd really like to just get up in the mornings and feel okay about myself. I'd like to not hate myself when I look in the mirror. I'd like to have the courage to look in the mirror. Where do you need to make an exchange? Because God invites you to make that exchange. Because what you've been through and the life you've led and the things that have happened and all these things are so important to him that he thought you were worth dying for. And we mean that when we say it to other people. It's just so true for us too. Um, and that would be good enough for this. That would, that would be good enough for that moment with Peter. But Jesus isn't done. So he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the word for kingdom there in the Greek is Basileia, and it's not referring to a geographical place. It actually refers to the rule of God, the kingship of God, whenever God walks in the room, as it were. So if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, you look at the life of Jesus and see the things he does. Keys in the Bible are, are, are pretty generally um, in the Bible, um, a symbol of authority. He gives Peter, this guy who is a fisherman for all intents and purposes at that time, authority so that he can live into all that God's got for him. That he is now a walking, talking expression of the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom of God. He puts keys in his hand and says, unlock what I'm doing wherever you are. And we know Peter has quite the journey, doesn't he? He has some real good times. And he has some real bad times. And when it evens out, though, there's some uncrazy things that are unlocked in that guy's world. Because God is walking with him. But again, the same God that said it to him says it to us. He gives you authority because of what he's done. It's not about us. It never was. But because he empowers us by his spirit, because we are his representatives in the world, because we're already sent to the lives we already have, he empowers us for that world. What would you like to see unlocked in your world? Are there businesses that need starting? Are there songs that need to be written? Are there books, art that needs to be created? Are there charities, ministries that need to be set up? Are there courageous conversations you need to have? That you didn't realise that when God was calling, he included you. He's given you skills and gifts and talents. He's given you abilities. 
And you may not rate them, but he kind of likes them. He thought it was a great idea to give them to you. And he wants to give you the keys to unlock what he's got for your life. That you would walk in his authority, that you would bring the words of Jesus, the works of Jesus and the way of Jesus into your world. Whether it's somebody in the next cubicle, whether it's somebody on your street, whether it's people who benefit from the ethical values you lead and live with. Sometimes our vision of God is way too small. And we might feel because this is a city where people believe in lots of things that we don't have anything to say. Or no one would be interested. But God was always relevant. Jesus was always relevant. The good news was always relevant. And as we are being transformed, and yes, it's a process, and yes, it takes time, we have a message, we have a story to share with people. People need the God that you know. People need the peace that you've encountered, even if it was fleeting. People need the hope that you've had. People even need your bad stories. You know the ones where it kind of ended in a minor key? Do you mean the one where you didn't get the girl, but you didn't go crazy either? That one, that story. People need to know when Hollywood gives up its happily ever afters, there is peace in the middle of the storm. And that when life happens to everyone, well, you and I get to do that. And he's given us keys, his authority, his stamp, his power, his resources, his presence, his peace to lead with. But will you dream? Will you dream for a a different vision of your city? Will you dream for... for, uh, for human flourishing in and through your life? Will you take your gifts, your abilities and allow God to see his kingdom come through you? I am, in in the house we used to live, I'm going to end with this because I'm running out of time. Um, As I, in the house we used to live in, we we used to have this big mirror by the door because, you know, I had to check things before I left. And then a table where we'd pick up the keys. And the plan was, you look in the mirror, you pick up your keys, you go, go kind of thing. Now, sometimes I'd get to the mirror and I'd think, fantastic. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Glory to God. Let's just take a little time to hang out here for a little bit. My, you do look fantastic today. Other days I'd look in the mirror and think, thank God I'm loved and just keep on going. You know? <laughs> just moving on. And there are moments, aren't there, when we do need to take some time to do some work on what's happening in our own lives. But we don't have to stay there. You check in, then you pick up your keys and you get moving. You, get, you check in, you do what you need to do. In my case, I need to check that the lipstick is not on the teeth. As my children like to point out, normally after I've done a talk. Could have done it earlier, kiddos. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but then you move on. And I just want to encourage each and every one of us. Check in on what God's doing with your identity. But pick up that vision. Pick up those dreams, the ones you've put down, the ones you're intimidated by, the ones you don't know how you're going to make it work because you're juggling kids, life, work, bills, hashtag everything else. I don't know why I've got the word hashtag on my heart today. It's clearly for no reason whatsoever. Um, But pick it up and let's get moving. Does that make sense? So what I'd like to do is this. Oh, if the band, where, where are you, loves? You don't want me to touch your instruments. I mean, all of us have got a guitar in our dark and decadent past, but that's, you know, I, I would wreck things. You're so much better at it than I am. Thank you. Um, but what I'd love you to do, well, before the band play, I'm going to have a moment of quiet, like where we don't, 
where it just feels awkward. And it'll be like five seconds. It'll feel like 35,000. Um, and in that moment, I just want you to think, you don't have to tell anybody, but if there was something before God you wanted to exchange, what would it be? If it's like, Lord, this part of my identity is broken and I'm going to need your help. Just get me on the journey. What would it be? Think of that. And then if there was an area of God's life and love you wanted to see unlocked in your city, what would it be? That, would that be clear? Is that, did, I, did I say that clearly? Yay. Others are like, I'm too tired. Just get it done, girl. So have a moment of quiet. What do you need to put down and pick up? What do you need to exchange? Give over to God. And what would you like to see unlocked in your city? Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.